Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we're talking about human rights and needs, one of the Vital Signs 2017 categories from the recently released report. So we're talking about neighborhood safety, housing, and fresh healthy food, things that are a few of the human rights and needs that everyone should be concerned with. Up first, we're going to be speaking with Getty Stewart, professional home economist, author, educator, and public speaker. We're going to be talking about the importance of eating healthy, fresh food, and she'll give us a few tips on how to do that. Then we'll speak with Sean Matthews of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz, and he'll tell us how they're helping keep the downtown neighborhood safe in our city. We'll also be joined via telephone by Kirsten Burness, chair of the Provincial Working Group of the Right to Housing Coalition here in Manitoba. We'll learn a little bit more about the important role that social housing plays in combating homelessness. And we'll also speak with Pat Lilly, Legacy Circle Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation, to learn more about the Foundation's Legacy Circle program and how it recognizes donors with a foresight to plan to make a gift in their will. So we've got all this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good day and welcome to the show. Nolan and Robert here with you on this fine, the last October show of the month, I think, isn't it? Technically. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Halloween's wow. coming up. Are you, you got your, uh, you got your costume picked out? Uh, I, I can't say that I, uh, I can't say that I do. Do no. you have any ideas or what you're going to be? I'm not too sure. What are you thinking? Are you one of those last minute people that scrambles to Value Village on the 30th and grab something off the rack in hopes that you find something good? Or do you even dress up? Uh, you know what? I haven't uh, haven't for a few years, but in the past, uh, that usually <laughs> has you? been the yeah. <laughs> that's been me. Hey, that's fair. You and probably dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of others, myself included. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't dressed up for a few years. Maybe this year I'll break that trend and go find something good to wear. But uh, yeah, it's kind of exciting. Halloween. What's your favorite costume you've ever dressed up as? Um, I think the most memorable ones were, uh, some of the ones that my, uh, my mom made me a, uh, Super Mario costume <gasps> oh, growing very up. cool. And then a few years later, I was Sonic. Oh. The hedgehog. That's a nice dichotomy there. The, uh, two rivals growing up, Sega versus Nintendo. I love it. We've got a full show today. We might as well just hop right to it because we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, uh, but they are all sort of under the important umbrella of human rights and needs. Uh, the Winnipeg Vital Signs 27 2017 report was launched a couple weeks ago, and it touches on all these different categories, uh, human rights and needs being one of them. Uh, we're going to be talking about housing and safety. We're going to be talking about neighborhood safety. We're going to be talking food and food access and food security and just sort of everything that those three topics encompass. We've got some great guests, but before we get to the guests, let's kick things off with a song. What have we got today, Robert? Well, um, we are going to play this song in honor of the late Fats Domino, who passed away yesterday at the age of 89. So in tribute to him, here is his song, I'm Walking, right here on River City 360. I'm walking, here's the knee and I'm talking, find you and me, I'm hoping that you come back to me. I'm lonely, as I can be, I'm waiting for your company, I'm hoping that you come back to me. What you gonna do in a well run dry? You gonna run away and hide? 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We have Getty Stewart. She's a professional home economist and educator, author, public speaker, recipe developer, blogger, and just all-around food expert. Getty, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So yes, I love food. <laughs> well, that's why we wanted to talk <laughs> to you, because love of food is very important. But the work that you do when it comes to food waste and, and food management and just helping people understand what's important for a healthy diet is why we wanted to talk to you. Uh, some of the citizen priorities that were discovered in the Winnipeg Vital Signs 2017 report uh, showed that people want three things. An increase in access to affordable and nutritious food, decrease the amount of food waste that is rampant in our society, and reduce the reliance on food banks. So my first question to you is, what are some of the barriers that families in Winnipeg are having uh, when they just want to have fresh, healthy meals? Well, I think one of the, the big issues, as I identified, was the the actual physical availability of fresh, healthy food options. So in some of the stores that you go to here in Winnipeg and in other communities, rural communities included, it's really challenging to find that fresh, affordable food. And some of the choices that are available are choices that we recommend uh, you not choose for. So mm-hmm. a lot of box-processed uh, types of foods. My work really focuses on helping people to identify that fresh, uh, affordable food. Uh, what are some great ch- options to choose, and how do you work with that food and incorporate it into your uh, everyday meal plans and make healthy meals with them? So, is it just an education thing? You're an educator, obviously. You do you do workshops uh, every every month and stuff. When people learn about it and learn maybe that it's not as hard as they think, do you, what's the response when people kind of say, oh, I can actually do this every day? Yeah, I think a lot of people are intimidated in the kitchen. Um, I think there are way too many food shows and food in the media that portrays food as, you know, you need, need to make it f- fancy, you need to right. really go over the top, you need to make very specific things using very exotic and unique ingredients and and foods when really um, it can be much more simple than that. It can be super delicious Mm -hmm. and tasty for the entire family, but it doesn't have to go over the top crazy ingredients. And so um, I think people nowadays are um, trying to recreate a particular recipe that they've seen on uh, media or whatever, and they're buying ingredients for just that one thing. And Mm. then they have leftover ingredients, and then they don't know what to do with those other ingredients, and so they stay in the bottom of the the crisper or in the pantry, and they never get used again, and they spoil, and we end up wasting food. I think traditionally we've been cooking more seasonally. We go into um, either our garden or the grocery store. We buy what's seasonal, what's fresh, what's local, and we just learned how to cook those foods. Mm -hmm. And we knew how to make 15 different recipes using zucchini, or we knew how to use that squash inside and out. And so we really focused on, let's look at this squash. What are all the different things that that I can do with it? Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the kinds of cooking skills that, that I teach. Yeah, I would imagine when food goes to waste, when they're trying to do these exotic things, it feels bad because one, you feel like you're wasting money. Two, you feel like you kind of failed at the at the experience. And then at the end of the day, you're like, ah, whatever, I'll just go to 
a fast food restaurant. Right. And then it does become cheaper to go eat out at a fast food because uh, if you've got food in the fridge that you're not using because you're intimidated by it or you don't know what else to do with it, then absolutely, you know, it it seems more affordable to go out. But it never is more affordable to go out. You just need to figure out um, what are the foods that are easy to make that you can eat quickly. There's also skills that you can learn about, well, how do I store this food Mm -hmm. in a different way so that it lasts longer? So, um, you know, how do I take that fresh herb, which is a great tool to make tasty meals without a lot of sodium or other uh, processed ingredients. But if you buy that herb, you want to keep it for as long as possible. And so tips on how to store those herbs so that they stay fresh, how to preserve it, how to freeze it, how to dry it, um, and so that you can continue to use it throughout the week. There are tons of those tips on your website, gettystewart.com. And there's another, uh, you are also the founder of fruitshare.ca, which is a fruit sharing um collective, I guess. Uh, In your TED Talk at TEDx Manitoba, you talked about how much fruit goes to waste in an average year. Uh, You founded fruitshare.ca. So what are some options that people can do to avoid excessive food waste? So, you know, the fruit share stemmed absolutely out of just seeing in our very own communities that food that is growing in our backyards, that is accessible and local, fresh, amazing uh, food going to waste and just seeing that, giving people options for how do you how do you deal with that? So if you have a fruit tree or bush or, or plant in your backyard and you don't know how to use it, you don't maybe you don't even identify that, that Nanking cherry bush, no, yeah, I actually can eat those little red oh. berries um, and it's delicious, uh, you can call us and, and we'll provide some support, help you figure out how do you manage that. And uh, so that's been a fabulous, uh, fabulous process. But I think connecting people back to Um, the food and specifically the stuff that we grow locally because fresh seasonal food is always tastier, um, more more nutritious on the most part. And so connecting people to, yeah, this is is what we grow and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And other people across the world are envious of our fruit and and our vegetables. And so let's take advantage of what's growing in our our backyard. Definitely. I think there is a bit of a movement, uh, not just in Winnipeg, but across Canada and the states and everywhere of farm to table fresh food and there's sort of a a more of a demand for it as people understand and become educated on how important that is do you feel optimistic with the way sort of the food uh, trends are going these days or how how do you think uh, the general public is dealing with with fresh healthy food yeah i think there there certainly is more more interest in in healthy food i think there's a certain segment that's interested in the fresh uh, local and they get that wow this this is this comes very close from close to home and they're they're certainly interested in that so yeah it's exciting to see that that there is that interest i know um I do some canning workshops and teach people how to can and preserve food. And it's it's fantastic to see the age range of people say, interested yeah. in learning how to take advantage of that fresh seasonal uh, produce. So we have everything from 20-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 60-year-olds, so 80-year-olds cool. uh, who just want to know how that entire process. So it's fabulous. 
where did the, your passion come from? Like, where did you, have you always been interested in sort of canning and pickling and all you these know, things? You know, I would say I, I took for granted the skills and experience uh, and knowledge that, that I had in food. Uh, I grew up on a farm. We would regularly go to the riverbank and we'd pick choke cherries in Saskatoon's. We had a massive garden, just like most farmers when mm-hmm. they have a garden. It's size huge. Yeah. Um, and we would use all of that food. Nothing went to waste. I mean, that was, uh, it, it wasn't even a spoken rule. It just was. You didn't waste right. anything. And everything was precious. And so we treated food like that. Every morsel of food is, uh, is precious and valuable. And um, I went to hum- uh, University of Manitoba, took my home economics degree. And uh, yeah, just sort of added that to my collection of skills and knowledge and experience. Worked in the corporate world, did training on communications and team building. And then it wasn't until fruit share and my kids were young that I realized that, man, people actually don't know what to do with local fruit, with fresh produce, with, uh, they didn't even, weren't able even to identify what was edible and what wasn't. And so I thought, well, I can help with that. And so I started on a volunteer course and then I, um, wrote the Prairie Fruit Cookbook, which provides tips on how to identify, harvest, preserve, cook, bake with uh, with our local fruit. And ever since then, it's like, I can absolutely teach people these skills. I have the, the education, I have the knowledge, the background, and so I've rolled that all up into one. Yeah, it's kind of weird how generationally, because my grandma had a gigantic garden. My mm-hmm. mom has a little bit smaller of a garden, and I have no garden. So it's sad to see, because it was so good, just going out there, eating fresh peas and carrots with a little bit of dirt on them. Yeah. Like Those are memories that I'll always have and cherish, but it just seems like over the years we've become complacent or become we just haven't needed to do that because food has just been so excessive almost that yeah. we don't have to think about it um so thank you for the work that you're doing yeah. it's awesome getty stewart.com uh where else can people find out more information or they can maybe get a workshop if if they're interested in the canning and the, that side of your, your yeah I, I love doing that kind of work they can certainly get in touch with me with me there at getty stewart.com all kinds of recipes on there and certainly that's the way to contact me if anyone is interested in a in a workshop very cool oh, and if you have a fruit tree in your backyard and there's apples that are on the ground right now go to fruitshare.ca as well Getty Stewart, author, blogger, professional home economist, educator, public speaker, recipe developer, and now radio uh, guest of River City 360. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nolan. And we are going to have to get you growing some vegetables. I know. It's honestly on my to-do, like my bucket list because it's huge. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan. And coming up after the break, we'll get a chance to meet River City 360's newest contributor, Sonny Primolo. He has his first interview on the show today, and he'll be speaking with Sean Matthews, the Director of Safety and Outreach at the Downtown Winnipeg Biz. They'll talk about his task of helping to keep our downtown safe after our next musical break. Before we get to that, here are the grassroots with Sooner or Later, right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we've got a new addition to the RC360 squad. Sonny Primolo is joining the team to bring you even more views and news from around Winnipeg, and his first interview this week is with Sean Matthews of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Sonny? I would like to welcome Sean Matthews, Director of Safety and Outreach for, from uh, Downtown Winnipeg Biz to the show. Good morning, Sean. Hey, good morning, Sonny. How are you? Great. Yourself? Very good. Uh, so for those who are unfamiliar with the work of Downtown Winnipeg Biz, could you tell us a bit of what the Downtown Winnipeg Biz is all about and how you help our community? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the Downtown Biz uh, has been around for many, many years. I believe it uh, uh, goes back to the uh, mid to late 90s when uh, it first started up. I've, I've only been with the Biz uh, for about four and a half years myself. And I'm the director of uh, safety and outreach for the biz. So amongst the the safety programs that we run here, the biz also uh, does a lot of other programming around uh, street maintenance and cleanliness and graffiti removal. We do a lot of events downtown. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with ManyFest or the farmer's markets uh, amongst uh, many others that go on year-round uh, for our downtown and then we also have uh, transportation uh, placemaking so we, we really do a lot of work to uh, work with the business community the the city the police and a lot of our, our um, other partners to really uh, kind of build up our downtown you know show the value of our downtown all the great things that are happening and, and there's a, a real vibe uh, that's growing in, in a real positive way for our downtown. So we're really excited to be part of that and, and champion uh, all the good things that are happening in our downtown. So we have Sean Matthews from the Downtown Winnipeg Biz here to ta- uh, today to talk about the safety initiatives they have to help improve neighborhood safety. Uh, what are some of those initiatives? Well, we run actually a lot of different uh, safety programs here, uh, and one of them is the most visible one that a lot of people will know about, and that's our downtown watch program. Um, the young people, uh, men and women that are in our uh, red and black uniforms that are out on the street, uh, we're not quite 24-7, but we're almost there. Uh, a real strong presence. I, I call them the iconic part of our downtown now they've been downtown for 20 years so that's that's one of them and i don't i don't know if you're familiar with them but uh, yep. uh a lot of people when they hear our safety that's the number one thing they they do recognize so you did speak about the watch ambassadors who provide a safe walk for people who walk to their vehicles at night uh mm-hmm. is there any inter- interesting stories you would like to share about some of their experiences we have a large volunteer uh, program here so we get a lot of uh, young people primarily from all walks of life that, that come to our our program to get some training and experience and they want to kind of a couple of things they want to kind of give back to the community and they want to learn and they want to a lot of them want to uh, learn some skills because a lot of them want to go into uh, careers and uh, law enforcement or corrections or social services. So we've got this very diverse and unique and uh, and inspiring uh, group of young people that uh, come to us all the time to uh, to help our, our cause. So from that, we uh, generally hire um, about 25 people that we employ uh, year-round. Uh, unfortunately, can't employ everybody, but mm-hmm. 
it's a it's a great um, uh, you know social development program that we have uh, gives some uh, folks a, a chance that they they may not have if they can't go you know through other means to get some experience so so that's the number one story I like to share with people that, you know, we've got great dynamic people that, that come and participate. To our listeners, if you weren't aware, the downtown Winnipeg Biz holds a farmer's market every Thursday, having uh, the downtown farmer's market provides a great opportunity for local businesses to open up shop and bring people to the heart of our city. Um, so, Sean, how, is, how has this initiative affected the safety and well-being of the downtown core? Well, that's one of the things that they identified, you know, Safety isn't just about policing and, you know, uh, enforcement and, you know, safety can be a lot of things and bringing people down for positive events, good experiences. The more uh, people that you have coming into an area for, uh, for uh, you know, positive purposes, it drives out crime. We know that, you know, areas that are desolated and not looked after and, you know, there's garbage everywhere, graffiti everywhere, no lighting, no broken <laughs> Those areas aren't safe, so the biz really puts a lot of effort into um, creating safe environments. And you know, a, a farmers market, amongst a lot of other positive things, like having you know some great fresh uh, vegetables and baking and all those great things that everybody loves. It it, it fills those spaces with um, a real positive atmosphere and. Uh, it's helped tremendously to to make the downtown a much safer and friendly and vibrant uh, location. According to a report done by the uh, Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs Project, 73% feel safe downtown, which is a positive number, but I'm sure we would like to see that number go up. One way that Downtown Winnipeg Biz is helping to improve that number is through the Downtown Watch Program, which provides a visible watch presence and helps to improve the safety of everyone downtown. So, Sean, on average, how many watch ambassadors are deployed at any time? Yeah, so most of our focus is on the evening, of course, because the stats that you, <laughs> you've identified are correct. We, we know that uh, most people feel pretty safe coming downtown during the day, and there's relatively few incidents where, um, you know, the watch have to in- intervene in any kind of... Uh, um, you know, serious matter, and uh, but the perception in the evenings, especially, that's where a lot of the surveys say that, um, uh, especially women are still experiencing the uh, feeling that or the perception that downtown isn't isn't quite there yet. So we try to put as many staff and volunteers on in the evening. So um, during the evening, you you know, like I'll come in, it's like a small army. <laughs> around four o'clock <laughs> and there's like a sea of red i like to to call them that uh we can have anywhere from you know uh, eight to ten to fifteen to twenty uh staff and volunteers going out uh you know starting at 4 p.m till midnight um and they're they're roaming the uh the downtown and they're fo- and they really focus on you know, areas or events that are coming downtown. So if there's uh, something at the MTS Centre or at the Convention Centre or, you know, one of our many uh, facilities now where things are going on in the evening, they'll they'll focus around those areas. So it um, provides that extra visibility and, and people really appreciate seeing someone that uh, is in uniform and is there to help and offer assistance. So, uh, yeah, if, if, if we can keep doing that, that would be... Uh, 
be a great milestone that we we continue this on for many many years to come mm-hmm. downtown is currently experiencing a growth like never before with mm-hmm. the uh, raising of true north square and opening of new businesses downtown is sure to be a hub for everyone in the city with this growth will come an even larger need for security in our city's core. I would like to thank Sean, Director of Safety and Outreach from the Downtown Winnipeg Biz for speaking with us today. But before I let you go, Sean, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if anybody is coming downtown or they uh, have any need for any information or would like to know more information, please check out our uh our website at uh, www.downtownwinnipegbiz.com and we have tons of information about uh, events, about all the uh, advocacy work that we're doing and lots of tips and information about how you can come downtown and be safe. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Sean. You have yourself a great day. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sonny. And thanks again to Sean Matthews of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz for speaking with us today. Coming up after the break, I will speak with Kirsten Burness. She is the chair of the Provincial Working Group for the Right to Housing Coalition here in Manitoba. And we're going to talk about the role that social housing plays in combating homelessness and what people can do uh, in terms of helping to end homelessness here in our city. So we'll have a great conversation about that. Before we get to that, though, here is Petula Clark with You Better Come Home right here on River City 360. So baby, come back to me Baby, come back 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. Yesterday, I had a great conversation with Kirsten Burness, the chair of the Provincial Working Group of the Right to Housing Coalition here in Manitoba, and we spoke about the important role that social housing plays in reducing homelessness in our city and province. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Kirsten Burness. <music> So the National Conference on Ending Homelessness is taking place in Winnipeg this year, and it's where you're joining us from right now. Um, can you speak to some of the themes of this year's event and what people are gathering around? Really exciting to have the conference being hosted in, in Winnipeg this year and to have people come here from across the country. Uh, we're just in day one. There was a, a pre-conference yesterday uh, that specifically focused on addressing Indigenous peoples and their experiences with homelessness, uh, which is super important because here in Winnipeg, Indigenous peoples are overrepresented among those who are experiencing homelessness, and there does seem to be uh, quite a focus around that experience and, and exploring that. And of course, some of the other you know populations that are overrepresented in homelessness, and we know that to be you know women, trans people, youth, and people who are experiencing mental health issues or or addictions. So there's a number of workshops and, and discussions related to, the, to those populations. We're also looking at how our different public systems need to change to prevent people from entering into homelessness when they exit our public system. So uh, that could be our health care system or our justice system or child welfare system. And of great interest to the Right to Housing Coalition is some discussions taking place here around what the public policy role is, right? Like, what role do our governments play in preventing and addressing homelessness? And so we had the mayor speak today, our provincial minister responsible for housing, um, and a representative from the federal government. And, you know, often in the workshops, we hear a lot about what communities doing to address homelessness. Um, but what we're really interested in, in hearing what our governments are doing, because we know that governments play a critical role. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the Right to Housing Coalition, can you tell us a little bit about what that is, who's involved in it, and what sort of the mission is? The Right to Housing Coalition has been active for a number of years here in Winnipeg primarily, and we, we look at housing you know, across the province and even at the federal level. But we're a coalition made up of individuals and organizations who are concerned about the shortage of social or public housing and affordable housing here in our communities and across Canada. And we work to develop relationships with the three levels of government uh, to promote, you know, good, strong public policy that would address those concerns. So at a high level, we are working with them to find ways to increase the supply of our social and affordable housing, to maintain what we have, so invest in preserving our existing stock, and then in recognizing that you know, we still don't have a big enough supply of low-income housing, and so people have to go rent in the private market, which is much more expensive. And so working with governments to ensure that income supports are available for low-income people to rent in the private market. And the other piece of work that we do is public education and awareness around issues related to housing insecurity and homelessness. 
so that we are more well-informed as a society about the need to take action around this and make it a little bit easier for our government to implement solutions that everybody wants to see. Now, you're also part of the advisory committee for Winnipeg's Vital Signs, which was released a few weeks ago. And one of the top citizen priorities, it was number one when it came to housing, and it was uh, top three when it came to poverty, was to increase the supports for those who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless. I'm wondering if you can speak to what some of the recent actions that the municipal and provincial governments have taken as it relates to ending homelessness. So we know our provincial government is developing a provincial housing strategy that will include um, a bit of a focus on homelessness and that they're looking at different housing options. And so, um, you know, nothing has come out of that yet. We haven't seen that plan, but we look forward to that. And we know our province is and and the city is providing funding to organizations, community organizations that are working directly with people who are experiencing homelessness, and that's very important, of course. Um, But when it comes to the role that the province and the city can play in terms of actually providing housing, we're looking for much more than what we've seen so far. So, you know, it's very clear that homelessness is a very complex issue, but if we don't have enough housing for people to live in, you know, at a very fundamental level, we're not we're not going to be able to address homelessness. And so the current provincial government has created since it's been in power and we know fifty new shelter beds and shelter beds are in very high need. But that's not housing, right? Uh, We know they've added just over 230 new affordable housing options for folks, but many of those have been around affordable home ownership, which is a bit too big of a jump for people who are experiencing homelessness to, to go to towards home ownership. So what we really need to see is some investment in our our social and public housing, right? That's the most affordable option for those like people experiencing homelessness who are in very low incomes. And we haven't seen any new bills of of social housing come from this government yet and no announcements yet to create any new ones. And then some other things that we're concerned about is that in the, the social housing that we do have available right now, The province just recently increased the rents that people pay in those units, so it's going to make housing affordability a little bit more of a challenge. We also know that they've announced the sale of building at 185 Smith, which previously housed up to 300 low-income people in social housing units, and so that loss of units we expect to have a negative impact on, on housing insecurity and homelessness. And then another thing of concern, unfortunately, is the income benefits that people receive to rent in the private market were reduced. They were cut back in July, too. So we're concerned about the lack of new supply, about, you know, the loss of supply that we may be experiencing, and the fact that, you know, the low-income housing that is available is becoming a little bit more expensive. And we're concerned that that's going to to exacerbate homelessness and housing insecurity in our province. Now, there's actually an article that you wrote in today's Winnipeg Free Press that addresses that and the importance of investment, but also that explains why privatization and why just offering benefits to rent in the private market isn't really an effective solution to end homelessness. Can you expand a little bit on that? Part of that piece was referencing a report that recently came out, KPMG 
undertook an investigation, I guess, or a study, KPMG's accounting firm. And so this was done on behalf of the provincial government, looking at, among other government programs, our social housing program here in Manitoba. And, you know, they are providing recommendations in that report to our government around how we can cut costs, uh, perhaps generate some new revenues in Manitoba housing. What it doesn't do is is look at what are the social outcomes of the recommendations that they're providing. So it's really on a strictly financial kind of basis that they're making their recommendations. And so among those include increasing rents and social housing even more, making further cuts to our income supports for shelter, and, and halting any new social housing bills. But most alarming is what you referenced, which is, a recommendation to sell off some of our public housing stock. And it's alarming because we've gone down that public policy road before where, you know, back in the 90s, the federal government completely withdrew from from public housing and sort of turned that over to the private sector. I think we knew at that time, but we certainly found out in, you know, in a very unfortunate way, you know, even a decade after that happened, that the private sector cannot meet the needs of very low-income people when it comes to housing. And it's not a, a dig at the private sector in any way. It's just not part of their model. It's not profitable to provide housing for very low rents. And that led to the housing crisis that, you know, we continue to be in across this country right now. And, you know, here in Manitoba, back in, you know, 2009, uh, the former NDP government recognized with pressure from right to housing the need to to reinvest back into our public housing system here in Manitoba. And, and we, we built 3,000 new low-income units over a five-year period, but it's still not enough. And so knowing that there's you know a recommendation out there for our provincial government to sell assets um, is, is very much a concern. If people are interested in learning more about this topic or if they want to get involved somehow, where can they go to get more information? So, I mean, with the Right to Housing Coalition, uh, that's part of what we'd like to be able to support people to do. So, you know, we work together uh, to develop public policy solutions, right? And we listen to, to people who have ideas around that and invite them to join us uh, to, to develop these public policy solutions and then to, to build awareness of that and, and encourage our governments to act on them. So I would encourage people to you know, check out our website at righttohousing.ca or find us on Facebook um, and, and get informed, right? Like, so you can really know what the issues are and the solutions are and then you know, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors about these issues so that you can learn from one another and get a better better understanding of what the reality is here in our communities for people experiencing housing insecurity and homelessness. And even on your own, outside of participating in any kind of, you know, coalition or advocacy work, call up your, your local city councillor or MLA or MP and tell them that you're concerned about homelessness in, in our communities and that you want government to take action. There's lots of community organizations, as I mentioned before, that are doing really incredible work um, and taking action that are impacting people's lives right now in terms of housing um, and, and, and helping people get out of homelessness. And 
if people can, you know, offer support to those groups, that's great as well. Kirsten, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I do really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we're going to be joined in studio by Pat Lilly. She's the Legacy Circle Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation. She's been on the show a few times before, and she's going to tell us about the importance of having an up-to-date will and how the Legacy Circle program recognizes donors with the foresight to make a gift in their will. But first, here's Ian and Sylvia with Circle Game right here on RC360. Yesterday.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Pat Lilly. She's the Legacy Circle Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation. Pat, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Legacy Circle is a program at the Foundation that recognizes donors who have planned to make a bequest in their will. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Legacy Circle program and what it means for the donors who are a part of it? Sure. As you mentioned, many of the gifts uh, come in the form of bequests. However, too often the foundation only becomes aware of them after the donor passes away. So that was the reason really that the Legacy Circle was started as an opportunity to show appreciation to these individuals during their lifetime and to help demonstrate impact. It's also a way to allow folks to interact with other like-minded individuals in the community and to stay informed. One of the ways to stay informed is through our annual booklet that's developed to acknowledge our current and past members. It's a way sort of to bring people together around philanthropy, which is really great. And one of the ways uh, in which Legacy Circle does that is there's an annual reception that brings donors together. Tell us a little bit about the idea behind that and what donors can expect uh, at the reception that's happening today. The Legacy Reception is the Winnipeg Foundation's opportunity to thank and acknowledge both our current and past members for their generosity. We're so pleased that current members feel comfortable enough to bring family to experience the event. And similarly, family of the past members also take time to attend. This year, we're pleased to host the ninth annual reception. It's being held this afternoon, October the 26th, at the Convention Centre. The format is a wonderful sit-down lunch where guests enjoy each other's company and a variety of speakers, including stories from other legacy members. The theme for this year is Vital Signs, which is a study of the vitality of our city. Then the afternoon concludes with musical entertainment from Sunshine House Band. So it sounds like a great program and uh, and a great way for donors to have the chance to see what kind of impact that their gifts and that gifts from all different people from across uh, across Winnipeg are going to have on our city. So that's wonderful. And I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. How important are bequests to the foundation and to the charitable organizations in Winnipeg? Well, legacy gifts are very important. They provide the base for future planning and the ability to respond to needs in the community. This is accomplished through our general granting process or members may choose to identify a particular area that they'd like to support. A great detail to note is that almost everyone has the ability to make a legacy gift and as a result have a tremendous impact on the community. That's wonderful that that's something that that really anyone can do. And can you speak to what exactly is the process like for, say, a donor is interested in creating their own legacy that means uh, something to them and, and supporting a cause that's really important to them? Can you speak to that process and what it entails? Sure. It's, it's actually a, a pretty simple process. When you include the Winnipeg Foundation in your estate plan, that gives you an opportunity to decide how your gift is going to help the community. And of course, if your area of interest should change during your lifetime, we can work with you to ensure that your wishes are carried out. If people are interested in joining the Legacy Circle, it's going to be a big year next year for Legacy Circle with the the 10th, it'll be the 10th anniversary of it beginning. If people are interested in being a part of that and uh, learning more information about 
the other donors who are part of the circle and uh, attending the reception next year, uh, how can they get more information uh, about how to join? Absolutely. And you don't have to be a member to uh, attend the lunch. We'd love to have folks come out and just learn about us. So information is available by either calling us at the Winnipeg Foundation or on our website at www.wpgfdn.org. The phone number to the office is 204-944-9474. And you can either ask for me, Pat Lilly, or my colleague, Catherine Cardwell. We'd be very pleased to discuss your philanthropy. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for joining me today and uh, telling me all about Legacy Circle at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thanks very much, Rob. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Robert, and thanks again to Pat Lilly of the Winnipeg Foundation. We've got time for some more music before we say goodbye today, so here's Manhattan Transfer with Java Jive right here on RC360.
was the Beatles with Money, That's What I Want, live in 1963, and that's the end of our time together for the day. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us on the show today. If you'd like to hear more reviews and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about today's show. If there's anything that you would like to discuss uh, about some of the topics that we've covered today, our stories on housing or neighborhood safety or food security, please give us a call on our listener line. It's open 24-7 and we would absolutely love to hear from you. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Uh, And again, if you want to leave any feedback about what you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to even request a song for next week's show, or if there's a topic that you'd like to discuss or an event that you'd like for us to feature, please give us a call. Our number again is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on the Twitter machine and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RiverCity360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and... We'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm-hmm.